we come to God's Word this morning, we are wrapping up a series in Nehemiah. I know we haven't made it all the way through, but we've made it as far as we're going to make it on this round. And uh, as we shift gears into some holiday season, uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 8, talking about spiritual renewal, about that uh, grace of God, that work that only He can do. We're in Nehemiah 8, verses 1 to 12. The Word of God. And all of the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they made for the purpose. And beside him stood a bunch of people. (laughs) Mattathiah and... Shema, and Aniah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Messiah, and on his right hand, and Pediah, and Mishael, and Melchijah, and Hashum, and Hashabad, and Zechariah, and Meshulam, and all were on his left hand. He was flanked by an entourage. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra Bless the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting their hands. And then they bowed their faces and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. They helped the people to understand the law. There was a group of teachers. And while the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn and weep. For all the people wept. Wept as they heard the words of the law. And then He said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that had been declared to them. Oh, that there would be such joy in understanding and hearing God's Word preached and taught. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning into your presence to sit at your feet and to hear your word, to give you our hearts, 
in worship and in obedience. And so now we ask as we spend these moments seeking to understand Your Word. No, more than that. Seeking to experience the truth and the power of Your Word in our own lives. We know that is Your work. The work of Your Spirit. So have mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can't remember the last time it rained. <laughs> it's, been in, it's been drought for months. <clears throat> it's so dry. Fires have gotten started. Some on purpose, some not on purpose. But they burn easily because it's dry. My grass is brown. I don't, I don't use a sprinkler. So my, my, my yard is brown and the ground is like cement. I had a water main leak in my front yard and I decided to save some money by trying to do a little of the digging myself to get in there and I put my shovel to the ground and like jumped on it. And it just, it was like cement. It's like hard as a rock. Got a pickaxe out and I started like, seriously, you know, just trying to break up the ground. We need rain. We need to pray for rain. Steady, ground-soaking rain. It would put out the fires, would soften the parched ground, bring life back to my grass and other things. It can be just the same in the spiritual life. The Bible uses that image pretty frequently. God's people at this time lived in a desert. So these are images that, you know, for us right now, they're a little fresh, but for these guys, we're always fresh in a sense. It can be just the same times of drought when green fades and the ground gets hard. Our hearts are prone to fires because our hearts get dry like tinder. And so things easily get out of hand. And we need rain. Steady, ground-soaking rain. The Bible uses this image. I love Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11, the image that it gives for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. They don't return there, but they water the earth. It soaks in, making it to bring forth and to sprout abundance, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. My word will be like ground soaking life giving rain in the hearts and the minds and the lives and the souls of My people. Softening hard ground. That happens when the Word comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is often times that we can read and hear God's Word and it, and it is dry to us as well. And falls on hard ground. Jesus tells parables about that Word going out and falling on hard ground. And so we need it to come in the power of the Holy Spirit as a means of grace to our parched souls. Israel has been in a prolonged drought. And we come to verse 8, chapter 8 here. Israel has been in just such a drought. Over many years now, they have been struggling as a people. Their city has been open and vulnerable and broken down. The city is underpopulated. It's economically depressed. The morale in the city is low. The temple has been lying in ruins for more than a century. The temple has been rebuilt 
The people have not been revived. We see in the text this morning that there has been no real sacrifice for years coming up. There's been no word, no worship. It's been neglected. The conditions are right for spiritual drought. And so we see in the text this morning that drought and famine go together. There's more than one kind of famine we do see in parts of the world when they go through drought. Food isn't produced and famine does occur. But again, that, that is a spiritual reality as well. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh your God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of Yahweh. For hearing my words. Israel is living it right now in this text. The fulfillment of that prophecy. The days are coming. This was spoken hundreds of years before, but a day is coming when, when there will be a famine and things will get bad. For hearing the Word of God, there is no greater famine than a famine for hearing God's Word. We don't believe that. We don't know that in, in the ways that we really should. We take it for granted. It is, it is ironic in an age when the, when the Scripture is more available, more tools are available, more access is available than there has been for hundreds of years. There is a greater illiteracy when it comes to the Scripture than in any generation of the church for many centuries. I was listening to Christian radio. I listen to my car sometimes, and there's a commercial that comes on, and it says, you know, that, you know, say you were on a desert island, and, uh, and you can only have two apps on your phone. <laughs> Tells you what age we live in, right? I've not heard this one before. So, say you were on a desert island, you can only have two apps on your phone, and he said, aside from like Candy Crush, you're going to want to have Candy Crush? You're going to want to have the radio app so you can stream all this good music. And I hear it, and, and I just think to myself, my first, I mean, I know it's just marketing, and I know maybe they assume you have a hard copy of the Bible or something, but, you know, my first thought was, Candy Crusher, even the radio station, what happened to the Bible app? You know, that's, you know, it's probably one of the most used apps on my phone. You know, what, ha- what about the Bible app? There's no greater f- famine But sometimes we can get to the place where we don't even miss the rain. Where we really would. The two apps we would want are, you know, so we can listen to Christian radio and Candy Crush or whatever else it is that you use to burn the time. That we don't even miss the rain. We don't even think that, 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 that there might come a starvation of the soul in such conditions. If the people didn't know better, they would think that Nehemiah had come to Israel to rebuild walls. That he came for a building program. Simply to build something. But the building that Nehemiah was about was a means to a greater end. To a much greater task. To the real task. To the task that we're about, whatever we build and whatever else we're doing, there's always a greater task. There is always something more important going on. Nehemiah, we're told, came to seek the welfare of God's people. 
The wall was simply a means to that end. The great need was not just for the temple to be rebuilt or the wall to be rebuilt, but for the spiritual renewal of God's people that they would be a light to the nations. A people alive in their God. And so the passage, I believe the passage that we have here before us this morning describes the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on His people. The pouring out afresh of, of, of what you might call a revival in His people. How do we know? Well, Because the Spirit's not mentioned. It's curious to me at some point. The Spirit isn't mentioned. But we see the life and power of the Spirit in the unity of God's people. We see it in their, their prayer and in their worship. We see it in their hunger for God's Word. We see the Holy Spirit in their repentance and their joy. Right? We see it We see Him, the Holy Spirit, in their unity. In verse 1 it says, all the people gathered is one man. That means the whole community. They all gathered. It was like if one of you showed up, all of you showed up. Like they gathered as one man to the place. There was a a unity in the people. There was a, a, a coming together of all of us at one time. Not for a turkey dinner. But for a five or six hour Sunday school class. Right? That's what it was like. It was like five or six hours of Sunday school. That's what they were doing. One mind, one purpose. They said, bring out God's Word. Right? That's what it goes on to say. They showed up in the square at the water gate and they told Ezra the scribe, bring out the book of the law. Teach it to us. Read it to us. And explain it to us. Teach it to us. We need to know it. We need to understand it. We need to get back to it. We need to live it and obey it. We need to be God's people and we're a people of the book. And they said, bring it out. Give it to us. Tell us what it says. In verses 2 and 3, it gives us a summary of what happened. And then in verses 4 to 12, he gives more detail. Same story. But verses 2 and 3, it says, So Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, both the men and the women, all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. An exciting day in the life of Israel. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early in the morning till midday in the presence of the men and the women and all who can understand. And their ears, the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Five or six hours from early morning until midday. The people were eating it up. It was like parched ground when the rain comes. They were eating it up. They needed it. They wanted it. They asked for it. They submitted to it. They sat under it. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of hunger. Right? You and I naturally, you know, this is the kind of hunger that we should long for. Verses 4 to 12, he gives some of the details. You know, verse 4 and 5, it says that. You know, after he was doing this, he goes into further detail. Ezra the scribe, he stood up on a wooden platform, kind of like I am. Uh, and they had made it for him for that purpose, kind of like this was. And beside him stood some of the other leaders in, in, in Israel. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, kind of the way I just did. For he was above uh, all the people. He was elevated so they could see him, kind of like I am. And the people stood. Should we stand for the reading? There's a couple of things I'm going to drill down in just, you know, because I think it's uh, helpful. This whole 
how, how do we do church? How do we do worship? You know, our, our traditions and the things we do or don't do and the things that come and go. And should we stand for the reading of God's Word? Like all the people stood up. Um, and I say, well, I mean, we could. I don't think it's a should. Right? It's one of, one of those. And so there's a lot of church. There are some churches where they have a practice. Everybody stands to, when, the, when the Word is read and they sit back down. I think it's a fine thing. I don't think you, you need to do it. I think God was doing something unique in the life of Israel. Ezra, Ezra didn't tell them to stand up. Ezra didn't. I mean, they gathered as one man, and when the Word was read, they, as one man, it seems, stood and listened. As God was doing something in their midst. Now, should we do it all the time? I know later on that's not the way it went down. And you look at synagogue worship, the reader would take the scroll and stand and read to the crowd that was sitting, and then he would sit and teach. Should I get a stool? Sometimes that would be nice. I mean, you could. I know I've seen some TV preachers and others who sit to, and teach, you know, like you're in their living room or something, and that's fine in some ways because I think these are the things that are are not prescribed, should we stand? Uh, not necessarily. Could we? Sure we could. What I want us to see is that people were engaged. They open and they come, they come to this uh, time and they open it with prayer. In verse 6, it said, Ezra, bless the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, engaged, amen and amen, lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Right? They, they started in prayer because they longed for God to do something in their midst. Right? I think it's a dangerous thing to simply read the Scripture or even study the Scripture on your own or in, even corporately like this and not pray. Because that says, we're, we're going to sit here and we got this. We're going to read it, we're going to understand it, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to do it. And really, we don't need God's involvement. Right? Anytime you open the Scripture, anytime that you, you read His Word, we should pray and bless the great and awesome God and ask for Him to work in our midst, to speak to us afresh, to do what only God can do. So they prayed. And the people were engaged. Amen and amen. They weren't just watching and listening to a show that was going on up front on the platform. Right? They were engaged in what was prayed. They they affirmed with their own hearts. They were not only listening, but it was their prayer. And they said, yes, yes, truly, truly, so be it. Let it happen. And it says that their hearts, in that sense, are reaching out. And I want us to notice their bodies. All right, in verse 6, it says they had their hands as they prayed. It says their hands were raised, lifting up their hands, their heads. They then bowed. And then eventually they were on their faces. Their bodies were involved. Why? Because we're not brains in bottles where everything is just cerebral. We're souls in bodies. Not a brain in a bottle, but a soul in a body. We're embodied souls. God created us and gave us these things that feel and we use them in so many ways and it says we'll be like that forever death is the unnatural separation of soul and body and on the day of the resurrection there'll be a reunion of soul and body forever yes we'll be changed and twinkling and we'll be like him and we'll see him as he is but we will be in embodied souls again and forever 
that our bodies matter. You know, that our emotions and our bodies are not uninvolved in worship. You see, these people, you know, they didn't just stand and listen and say, yes, we will do it. And, you know, they were engaged as whole people. We're a little bit afraid of this sometimes. For the whole person to worship. You know, that, that what we're saying with our minds and our hearts and our lips, it actually in some ways, at some point, could be expressed with our bodies. And we know there's some abuse of that, and don't get me wrong, I've been in all kinds of churches all over the world. Literally, I've seen, I've seen it all. I understand there are abuses and things that go on out there. We're afraid of emotionalism and abuses that take place, but we should not be, though, though there's an emotionalism, we should not be afraid of emotion. And though there are abuses, we should not be afraid, I think, to be wholly engaged as whole people. Lifting of the hands in prayer and worship was a common Jewish practice. So we see it here. This wasn't something they made up on the moment. It was something that was a part of the life of Israel for as long as Israel worshipped almost. So I'll touch on I'm going to give you a few. There's probably a dozen Scriptures you could go to. I'm going to give you just a couple making the point. In Psalm 141.2 it says this, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Right? And you see there that prayer and the lifting of hands are parallel, even as incense and the evening sacrifice are parallel. Right? The prayer and the lifting of hands are parallel, and the lifting of the hands is equated with sacrifice. In Psalm 28.2, he says this, Hear my voice. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. My prayer. When I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. When I pray. For them, it was part of their praying. It was the way they prayed. It, it was, it, for them, it was one thing that when you lifted your heart, you lifted your hands. In Lamentations 3.41, it says, lift, let us lift up our hearts and hands in, uh, to God's heaven. Right? We see the connection. Let us lift up our hearts and hands. Right? That they went up together. That, our, that we did with our bodies what we were doing with our hearts. And this is not uncommon. Some of the most traditional churches I have ever been in, I was raised Episcopalian, and in the pews that I grew up in, in front of you, there would be a, a, a stool, a bench, and it was on little things that you could flip it out. And at certain points in the service, everybody flipped out the bench and got down on their knees. In the most conservative, traditional of churches on the face of the planet, you got down on your knees in worship, you with your body, you did with your body what you were saying in your heart that you, you worked it out. So very traditional churches do it, and then I've been in Pentecostal churches, and they do, I think they do too much with their bodies. You know, so there's, there, there, is, you know, there is these extremes, and I, I understand that, you know, but there is, I guess what I'm arguing for is some, some freedom in worship. Some we would say, well, that's Old Testament, this whole hand thing. Although Paul in 1 Timothy 2.8, writing to Timothy, talking about the churches, he says, I desire that in every place the men should pray a lifting holy hands. Right? My desire is in every place, in every church, wherever Christians gather, wherever they're praying, that all the, men would, all the people would pray lifting their hands. Right? So Paul desired it. And again, should we do it? I'm now back to the people stood when they read. Should we do it? No, I don't, I don't want anybody to raise a hand that doesn't want to raise a hand. I don't want anybody kneeling that doesn't want to kneel. I guess here I'm saying when the Spirit of God is working in His people, there are times that the expression is more than simply moving lips. 
Uh, and we see it in the church from the most conservative, driving to the knees in the midst of worship, to the raising of hands in the life of God's people and around. Some of that is to say that if I ever do, every now and then you see me, because I, I, I have been in Pentecostal churches, that if my hands slip up, it's like, oh no, he's going Pentecostal. <laughs> I, I can see it now, you know, we're... N- 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 no, I am Presbyterian by choice. You know, I, I've been there and done that, And I'm Presbyterian, but every now and then, as part of my worship, when we sing certain words, in my heart, especially words of exalting God, or there are times in my prayer that my hands do go up, and then I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, maybe they saw that. My friends, there is a certain freedom here when the Spirit works among us to worship. To not feel pressure to do it. You know, there's another big church that everybody at the beginning lifts up. You know, everybody lift up your Bible and do this Bible chant with me. You know, I don't like being told what to do in worship, frankly. I don't think we should be told what to do. Um, And I rebel a little bit when you tell me to do it. I'm going to do it when I want to do it. I know down at Covenant Prayers, everybody during the benediction, they all raise their hands during the benediction. Like they've picked a time in the service, you know, why during the benediction? Why during the benediction? Why do they do that? Because they want to. Because as a community, they decided to do it that way. Is the Bible do it that way in the benediction? No, they do it that way in prayer. I mean, and that's the freedom. That's the whole point that if that's, you know, they've put it in there. They've decided at some point in the service, we're going to use our bodies to say something in our worship. There's a freedom, and I would just say, let's not judge each other. Spirit brought unity. It brought passionate, engaged body praying. God's Word was open and taught. God's Word should be approached prayerfully because ultimately we want to hear from God. Because ultimately what we're doing here, if you went away and you just heard things that Robert was saying, whether it was about raising hands or anything else, and you just heard me, and you didn't hear the text, and you didn't hear what God is saying, you didn't understand this better, and how He is speaking it to you and to your life, then, then somewhere we've had a breakdown. Right? We've gathered to, to hear from God. You know, It's about hearing from Him and understanding Him and knowing and loving Him and obeying Him and wanting my life to be conformed to His to His Word and to His living Word, Christ, who is revealed through the Scripture. That's why we do it. It is not to open it as a thing. It's part of our liturgy. It's just part of our formality. But we long, I long for God to do stuff like this in my heart and in the hearts and lives of our people. To not just read it, they read it, but they also they were translating it and explaining it. Because Hebrew was, was just like English language, we resist the change, but Hebrew changed. And Aramaic is simply a, a di- dialect of Hebrew, and there was more Aramaic being spoken. It's kind of like going from King James. If I were reading King James, I would feel the need to stop and explain certain words. <laughs> you know, even, you know, that the is the, you know, 
means you. <laughs> you know that propitiation means an atoning sacrifice. It, you know, quoth he, you know, means he's, that's what he said. We'd have to stop and translate. So that's what's going on to make sure they understand. And that's one reason we use updated translations. It takes away a little bit of the work and then we give the understanding. We live in a time when many of us have lost the hunger we see in this passage. There's so much of the Bible that is a cloudy mystery. So much that we don't even know is there. So much that we don't understand. And frankly, most of us don't care. We're alright with that. They weren't alright with that. Many of us justified saying we don't have time. Sounds like work. Feels like school. It's not my style. But underneath it all of our excuses and the reasons is a troubling lack of appetite. No hunger. No thirst. We become comfortable not knowing. Comfortable not fully understanding what we do know. Lukewarm in so many ways. And the truth is we need a revival. We need... God to do what He does here. We need God to do what He has described all over the Scripture. And bringing forth His Spirit like water on dry ground. Which comes through the hearing of His Word. Which is why so often it just says, so will My Word be. You know, and then the assumption is that the Word is the vehicle in many ways for the Spirit. That God speaks through His Word and comes to us in power through His Word because we need not only to hear His Word in, 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 in cerebrally, but we need to know, we need to experience the power of His Word. That like them, we would be moved. Right? And that's where we see the third mark really of revival. Not only this unity that comes together, this hunger for God's Word, but we see this prayer and worship that they engage in, but then we see repentance. We see God's Word and we see God's work impact God's people in a way that brings real change. They wept as they heard His Word. It's, it's really fascinating. You know, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They wept. Verse 9. I hardly ever weep when I read the Scripture. I hardly ever see other people weep when they read the Scripture. I'm not sure that's good. I'm not entirely an emotional person in some ways. Um, but sometimes I wonder at the way we can hear God's Word and not be moved. Acts 2.37, when Peter had been preaching the Gospel to to the people, it says, now when they heard, 2.37, now when they heard, they were cut to the heart and said, what should we do? They were cut to the heart. Moved. Broken. Repentant. Convicted. Hungry. What should we do? 
God's intent was not to crush them. They mourned because they heard the law read and they saw how they fell short, how they were not keeping the law and living the law and how it must grieve and in some ways anger God. You know, it was, it was that exact thing, knowing the law and not keeping the law that sent them into exile to begin with. And here as they come out of exile and as they're trying to rebuild and they read the law, they grieve, grieve over the absence of all of that in their own lives. truth of God's awesome holiness, the depth and guilt of their sin, and for us, the cost that our Savior paid to save us from those things, and the depths of His grace. We need rain, ground soaking, heart softening, experience of the truth and its power to change us. I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring. Right? And there the image of pouring out water becomes pouring out My Spirit. Word and Spirit go together. And when He pours out His Word, He pours out His Spirit to bring real change. Unity. They were together as one hunger for God's Word. Passion in real prayer. Come back tonight at 5 o'clock and pray with us. Deep repentance and being affected by God's Word and desiring to see life change. They say this day is holy to the Lord. You and I gather on this Lord's day and it is holy to the Lord. And every Lord's day is. And He gathers us again and again just like this and I think with this potential all the time. This potential for it to infect our lives. He says this day is holy to the Lord. Basically feast and be happy. Right? God is the reading of the law today is not meant to crush you. It is to remind you, but this is a day of grace. He says God is giving His, His law as a day of grace. Yes, it may cut you to your heart so that you will return to Him, but that's His desire. What is He doing? He's bringing you back. He's reviving you as a people. My friends, if these people, all they had was the law in the Old Testament. And they were feasting and celebrating God's grace to them. We have so much more. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The fullness of grace and truth that is ours in Christ who bore away the guilt of our sin on the cross, who adopted us as children. We gather on a day that is holy to the Lord and He calls us to feast and celebrate. That's what this table is. It's a feast. And a celebration. It is exactly what's going on here in this text when he says, this isn't a day for mourning. This is a day for feasting. Christ the Passover has been sacrificed for you. Let us keep the feast. Let us celebrate the joy of the Lord is your strength. He doesn't want you broken and on your knees all the time. There is a place to be to let it cut us to the heart, but only so that we would have a fresh, fresh exposure to His grace. So that we can be healed of those things. That He breaks us to remake us. And then He calls us to feast on His grace. And to celebrate. 
to find that joy of His salvation, which is the strength of His people. As we come together at the table today to feast on the signs of His grace, I say, let it rain. Let it rain. Come, Holy Spirit. Give us a fresh taste of Your grace. That joy that is ours in Christ. The forgiveness of our sins. The renewal and the outpouring of Your Spirit in our lives. That call to know You and to love You and to serve You and to walk with You. Come, let it rain. Cut me to the heart and bring me back. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. We thank You that You do not leave Your people as You find us. And though we are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love, we know. Come, Thou fount of every blessing, and renew that grace in us as we come to Your table today. Would You draw near to us like streams on the dry ground, like rain when the ground is hard. Would You come and saturate our souls? And renew us in life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.